Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past, present and emerging of the Kulin Nation and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Okay, look at us, one well, of you rappers, I love it. We did not sleep enough. <clears throat> Sorry, listeners. <laughs> yes, listeners to Tuesday Breakfast. Yes, Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Yes. On this, I was going to say fine, but it's not fine. Cold, Tuesday, 27th of March. Are you happy, George? I feel like you brought on the cold. Me? Uh, <laughs> no, last time when we were having a conversation and we were, we were talking about whether we were ready or not, and I think George was like, yeah, I'm ready. Um, Maybe was that was my... Definitely praying for it. Um, I don't you know how were. powerful I am. But See? Yeah. There's mm. comfort over here. Mm. Well, um, it's currently 10.1 degrees, Bomb tells me. Um, yeah, it's bloody cold out there. It's going to be a nice 22, though. Yes. So shave your legs. Or whatever. Do whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And who who are we? Who are we listening to? I always assume. I always like to think we will get new um, listeners in. So for those Hmm. who are just tuning in um, for the first time, you're chatting to or chatting. You're you're hearing from Ayan, (laughs) and we have George, and I'm Lauren, and I'm so excited. Sitting to my left is our fourth newest member, Anya. Um, who is, I think she's allowed to say like one word on air. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's you know, it. Yes. Yes. That's a good compliment. Anya is, um, Anya is a lawyer who, um, I'm lucky enough to work with and who is pretty admirable social justice activist, um, but who is also a really wonderful person outside of the public sphere. Um, and so it's a privilege to get to do radio with her. Um, but she hasn't done the media law training, so she's not allowed to come on air in case she defames somebody and they sue 3CR mm. and we lose everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot at yeah. stake. So basically. <laughs> um, so we have a huge show today. Yes, yes, we do. Mm. So um, I think we're starting off with Alison, are we, today? We will be speaking soon to Alison Batterson, who is um, the director of a law firm called Human Rights for All um, Basically, she and a few other lawyers launched an application to try and prosecute Aung San Suu Kyi for crimes against humanity, which is huge. But I think first we're going to look at some news headlines. Um, George has the paper in front of her. Yes. Um, Before we do that, can we just address, not the elephant in the room, but the um, oh God. that stuff about cricket. Can you tell us? Oh, okay. yeah. What happened? Well, honey, my balls. heart stopped. I was like, what? Has somebody upset you? What do we need to no, no. You would have take my heard bun. about it. Take your bun out. You are terrible. Okay. The cricket stuff. Yeah, it's wild, right? Like, so basically, um, I feel really sad for the kid who did the thing. Um, this kid who's only ever played like six tex- test matches before in his life, a member of the Australian cricket team, um, was caught tampering with a ball 
trying to um, scratch something onto it on one side to kind of weight it because um, I don't know if any of you have ever played cricket before, but, um, oh, George, that little face. <laughs> I'm saying that is a no. Um, but sometimes when there's a bit of weight on the ball, it spins in a particular way and then you may be, you, you may be more likely to win, I guess, is the idea. Um, essentially tampering with the ball, trying to cheat. Um, and so he was caught and then the Australian cricket team just like copped it, owned up to it, like, yep, we did it. Um, but, you know, um, classic Australian man, mm. the captain was like, yes, we did it, but I don't think I should quit. I think I'm still the best person for the job. Um, but it's been met with outcry. Like people are losing their minds over this cricket thing. And they're like, this is un-Australian. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. And everyone's like, you lock up Indigenous children. Mm-hmm. Like, you lock up refugee children. How is this the mm-hmm. worst thing that's ever happened in Australia? Like, what do you think is going on here? You have people in a, in pretty much a concentration camp. Yes. In, um, on Manus Island. And this is your, this is, this is, this is what. This is the worst thing you've yeah. ever done. Like, it's, um, What exactly did they do with the ball? Like, I saw. Sick. I don't know. So, so what's. Well, here, here's a nice little, actually, I can show you. Okay, so Lauren is holding On the front page of the Australian, there's a photo of Cameron Bancroft, who is, um, oh no, oh, this is a different man. Oh God, I've got myself into tears. He rubbed it on his legs. No, no, he had a little, this little yellow, that's the caption. Okay. So this little yellow, uh, like, thing, a tape. Thank you, Anya's mouthing words at me. (laughs) You're not defaming anyone here. Um, And yes, scratched it on the side of the ball to just try and, create a bit of friction on one side and then like, you know, the wind will hit it a little bit differently. There's a little different spin on it. Oh. It's, it's all very, like, it's minute, like very subtle. Yeah. Um, but it's a significant thing. Like they were cheating in a test match. Um, like, yeah. yeah. But the gall of, of, of the person who did it, to think you could get away because aren't cameras everywhere? Yes, taking... but people do it. Like people do that on camera. And, mm. well, and that was the other thing. This kid was, like, asked by senior members of the team to do it. Like, he was, like, the fall guy. Oh, um, no. Yeah, isn't, that's, that's what I meant when I said I was sad about oh. it because I just felt really bad for this kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, he made the decision to do it, but also, yeah, you know. Yeah, but you can just imagine the pressure, especially in, like, an elite sport like this. Yeah, and the masculinity and all of that tied in with those kinds of clubs, like, the things you would have to do, I can mm. imagine. Yeah. It is interesting how the papers are presenting it, though. There's, like, a... A picture of, um, it says baggy green cheating scandal, and then it's got that cricket cap on f- in flames. <laughs> <laughs> Burn the whole sport. Oh, no, 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 actually, no, no. Hashtag no, 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 no. too soon because after Tani. No, we, too soon, too yeah. soon, too soon, too soon. Burn, baby, burn. Yeah, no, no. Don't but, burn me at the stake. So basically that seems like it's dominating Australian front pages. Mm-hmm. Um so we've covered the most so, important looks <laughs> of the I mean, month. I guess we can probably just go home. Mm. Just, um, I think we needed some light-hearted news before we, um, yeah, before we get into about the serious stuff. <laughs> well, fair. Um, I guess there is a few things that we should probably just um, just talk about quickly, though. Um, some news from Afrin in, um, in the Middle East. So the Turkish um, and Syrian rebel forces have now solidified their takeover of the Kurdish area of Afrin in northern Syria. Um, aid agencies have mentioned that um, they're having a bit of trouble getting supplies to people and that people are starting to really need um, need food and water and, and medicine and that sort of thing. So it's sort of the Turkish forces are in there. Things aren't terrible at the moment in terms of... Um, 
you know, rates of death or starvation or anything like that. Um, but it's a bit of a, um, they should be getting in soon before things get much mm-hmm. worse. It's a bit of a watch this space and, um, and hopefully someone soon will condemn Turkey for what they're doing. Um, and in Peter Dutton news, Hmm. Oh, the universal arrow. Um, <laughs> Peter Dutton has come under fire for granting a visa, a tourist visa, to an au pair, so a babysitter, essentially. Um, so Peter Dutton has, um, my favorite topic, has all of these powers that are personal to him and that nobody can review, basically, ministerial discretion. Um, and he can use it to cancel visas or grant visas wherever he considers that it's fit um, under this really vague and undefined term called the public interest. So he did that in this case. Um, this woman, for what it's worth, is, um, is white um, and is fairly middle class. And there is some... I'm not sure. There's a bit of discussion. A few people are suggesting that she may have been the au pair of somebody that he knew personally. or um, So that's all a bit unclear at the moment, and he's not really coming clean about how he might know this woman. Mm. Um, But essentially in the the wake of a 10-year-old boy on Nauru um, Mm. attempting suicide and and being really, really unwell and and having been unable to come to Australia for treatment, um, in the same week we see him use his powers to grant a visa to a white woman and also to call for fast-tracking visas of white South African farmers. So um, I don't even know what to say about him anymore, except that that's the latest. Yeah. And Do you think that they'll get rid of him after so many of these sorts of things have happened that really make him seem quite questionable? But what's the point at which, like, if... If Manus and Nauru for the last however many years he's been minister haven't been enough... If the Nauru files, if all of those allegations of child sexual abuse, if the government losing or having to settle a lawsuit in, you know, a claim for negligence against all of these people, if Australia coming under fire by the United Nations, like the list goes on. If Mm. all of these things haven't been enough to get rid Mm. of him, I honestly don't know what will. And the other question is, if if it was somebody else, would they be doing the same thing? Well, yeah. Mm. And that, like, you can see that if you, I mean... The application of ministerial discretion is pretty, like, he doesn't have to record it, he doesn't have to report it, so it's only if cases get publicised that you find out about it. Um, But it seems to be rarely used positively for refugees or people of colour. Yeah, and I think we we should also keep in mind that... um, I forgot his name. I just had a brain freeze. What's who? Who? Who Peter are we talking? Peter, Peter Dutton. Oh my <laughs> god! No, no. Right. You're trying to get him out of your head. Try <laughs> low key trying to, but Peter Dutton, his views, the views that he expresses, I'm sure a lot of people in positions of power in Australia have, you know, um, echo those same sentiments. Mm-hmm. He's just the um, figurehead for that. And I think that's why he's he's been allowed to get away with so much and why mm. there hasn't been such a... Um, uh, well, the outrage is coming from the people, but within the, like, politicians and other than maybe the Greens mm. and some wishy-washy Labour stuff, um, it's, 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 it's been very quiet, right? Mm. The mm. outrage machine is... Yeah. is it, like, the dial has been... Is, is really low and, and that's because he is saying what they're thinking mm. but in the position that he's in he can afford to say that yeah. right mm-hmm. the banality of evil yeah ooh look at you taking, ba- taking us back to Ahmed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that how you pronounce his name 
Okay, well, yes, but now it's be evil, exactly. Oh Amazing. Um, Shall we go to a song before yes. we have our first interview? Yeah, let's. Do you want to play it, Baby G? Is that the one you wanted to play? Oh, but I think there was a lot of songs that were. This I don't want to hog the space. Yeah, no, 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 I've got a few songs planned, so this is all you, girl. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I am, um, as always, listening to Sister's Eye on the Way In. She yes. played a really great track from um, a duo from France called. Do you know how to pronounce them? No, yeah. I'm not even going to um, try. Ebay, I Ebay? think. Yep. H- how do you spell? I-B-E-Y-I. And they, um, yeah, there's, they're this great French musical duo. They're twin sisters, and they sing in English, French, Spanish, and Yoruba, a Nigerian language wow. spoken in mm-hmm. West Africa by their ancestors. Super talented. Amazing. Uh, so this song is called Away, Away. And welcome back. If you're tuning in, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, Ayan, George, and Lauren. And Anya. <coughs> oh, Sorry, Anya, I yes. A drink of green yes. tea. Anya is in the background. And Anya is in the building. Yes. So now we're going to go to an interview that I am very excited about with Alison Batterson, who is the Director of Human Rights for All. Um, and Alison is joining us to discuss her a recent application she made to prosecute somebody we all know and some of us no longer love. <laughs> well, that was sad. Good morning, Alison. How are you going? Good morning, all. Good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, so let's jump right in. You are the director slash principal of Human Rights for All. Um, and as a junior human rights lawyer, the name just excites me. But like, can you tell us about your firm? <laughs> Sure. So I'm the director, principal, um, and founder of Human Rights for All. Human Rights for All is a um, charitable law firm um, that clearly focuses on human rights, um, in particular complex cases and long-term detained asylum seekers uh, in Australia um, and and some overseas, particularly on Manus and, and Nauru. Um, we also look at crimes against humanity um, and those gross violations um, of, of human rights. Oh, sorry, I just got a bit overwhelmed. That's amazing. Um, And so recently, one of those applications, um, one of the applications that you did related to crimes against humanity um, in relation to Aung San Suu Kyi. Um, Could you tell us a bit about that application and what you were hoping to achieve? Yeah, sure. I mean, a bit like you... um you know, I used to absolutely look up to Aung San Suu Kyi. She was one of my my childhood heroes. So it, um, it, this this is a very difficult decision um, to make. But uh, myself um, and a team of barristers and lawyers, uh, two weeks well, approximately ten days ago now, uh, filed for a private prosecution of Aung San Suu Kyi uh, for crimes against humanity. Um, in particular, the crime of deportation and forcible transfer of population. Um, at the same time, um, because it's a, a universal jurisdiction crime, meaning that, um, that 
there is limited nexus or no nexus to Australia um, in terms of the crimes were committed overseas, the perpetrators are foreign national, um, etc. We also had to um, brief the Attorney-General and ask for his consent um, for further down in the, the process of this prosecution. Okay. So I'm going to backtrack a little because... Um I just sure. Um, in there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, firstly, um, in terms of the forcible transfer, transfer and deportation of populations, you're talking specifically about the Rohingya people in Myanmar. Yes, yes. absolutely. So, um, the Rohingya, and, and in particular from Rakhine Province. Mm-hmm. Um, since approximately August 2017, so last year, um, approximately 700,000 uh, people from Rakhine Province. Have fled, um, have fled the country and are now located in refugee camps uh, all over the region. So it has a what, what's happening at the moment um, is having a, a large destabilising effect in the region. Mm. Um, but many are in Cox Bazaar, which is in Bangladesh. Okay, and so you mentioned the phrase um, universal jurisdiction and then discussing Mm. nexus between a crime and the country in which you, the person who's trying to launch a private prosecution, is in. So Mm. universal jurisdiction being... So universal jurisdiction really um, is quite a modern concept um, because it does have some questions over sovereignty and what people... Uh, rulers you know, back in the day in particular were doing in their own countries. Um, but with the rise of the International Criminal Court um, and also the um, the International um, Criminal Court for the former Yugoslavia and for Rwanda, this concept of universal jurisdiction um, arose or, or was built on, which is that some crimes are so heinous um, that regardless of where they're perpetrated, uh, victims um, and the international community really should be able to seek redress for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so this means that you know, even though the crimes committed in Rakhine Province and by Aung San Suu Kyi, we should be able to um, bring a prosecution here because they are so heinous. Yeah. And a good example of that, which I learned in law school and I always use to explain to people, <laughs> is the Augustus Pinochet example, which is that um, Pinochet was arrested in Britain for crimes of torture committed in Chile. So that's that example of there not being a nexus between them, but ideally you could have arrested Aung San Suu Kyi, or you, you not personally, but Aung San Suu Kyi could have been arrested here for crimes that she committed in Myanmar. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the the Pinochet um, example is is very pertinent. And about you know ten or so years ago, there was a big rush of universal jurisdiction cases, particularly in Europe, in Belgium, in Spain, um, and and the Pinochet case was was the result of that. Mm. And so, in terms of your application with Aung San Suu Kyi, so you had to brief the Attorney General, and then and what ended up happening? So actually. Um, on Friday just passed and um, we filed with the, the High Court um, against the Attorney-General actually and we're in the process of serving the Attorney-General um, because the Attorney-General declined to give consent for the prosecution. Um, he made some comments in the media uh, regarding um, Head of State Immunity for Aung San Suu Kyi, which she is not 
the head of state. She might be the de facto head of state, but she's not the actual mm-hmm. head of state for Myanmar. Um, so um, it, 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 because it's an ongoing court matter, it, it's slightly difficult to talk about. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have filed against the Attorney General in the High Court. Okay, well, um, just in case listeners are interested, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that and we'll post something on our um, Tuesday Breakfast Facebook page. We all will. Yes. <laughs> You perhaps more than all of us. Um, yes. <laughs> and so you've kind of been down this track before, um, specifically something that I know our listeners will be really interested in. In 2016, you um, referred Australia to the International Criminal Court over its treatment of asylum seekers, which um, I yeah. think makes you a hero in the eyes of most of our listeners. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Again, it wasn't just myself. It was a, a group of um, lawyers, barristers, and legal academics from around the world. It wasn't just an Australian-based application. Um, and it, it's not actually interesting against Australia. It is against individuals. So um, our foreign ministers, prime ministers and immigration ministers um, who in particular have been involved with the offshore detention process, so Manus and Nauru. Um, and as part of... Um, signing up to the, the, the International Criminal Court through the Rome Statute. It brings individual liability for these mass crimes mm. um, and, and, and grave crimes. So, again, uh, we made a submission, a communique to the International Criminal Court um, outlining um, what we saw and what we still believe are, are crimes against humanity um, for the treatment of those, those people in offshore detention. Um, and ask the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court to open an investigation uh, into what, what is happening. Mm-hmm. And um, how long does that typically take? Like, should we have heard by now, or is this something that takes ages and they might be doing stuff behind the scenes that we don't know about? Or? Yeah. So it's, um, it is a, a long process, and there are a, a number of um, complaints such as ours um, that have arisen from from Australia, um, in particular Tracy uh, Ayler has um, made the first complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, she's heavily involved with the ICC and communicating with them um, and, and pushing this issue. So we, we have indications from the ICC that they remain interested in this and that they are collecting um, evidence and, and witness statements. Um, wow. So it is definitely something that is still alive. Um, and is, is still being, being looked at. Mm. So um, it, it is tricky. There's, there's only mm. three ways, sorry, in, that you can open a prosecution with the International Criminal Court. One is self-referral, which is what a lot of African countries have in fact done, mm-hmm. um, which clearly Australia was not going to do in this case. And that's really for a, a nation whose um, judicial system has fallen apart. Mm. Um, the second is the prosecutor can, can open an investigation, which is what we have requested, um, and third is on referral of the um, Security Council of the, the UN, um, which... Mm, good luck getting them to agree on anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Wow. All right. Well, um, that's all super interesting. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on the Aung San Suu Kyi stuff. And um, we really wish you yeah. all the best with that. I hope it's successful. Lovely. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Alison. And that was Alison Batterson, the Director Principal of Human Rights for All. Um, and now we will go to a quick community announcement.
why do you reckon people should subscribe to 3CR? Because I think we have more awesome music shows than anywhere else. And they're niche and they're interesting and they're adventurous. 3CR, the perfect companion in your car on your road trip. If you're on digital, no tram interference. But if you're streaming, there's no tram interference. No. That's true. But if you like tram, interference is always the AM. The AM, old school. <laughs> oh, who like, oh. You know, some people like the crack along vinyl. Well, some, some people like noise music. Experimental mm-hmm, noise music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To subscribe to 3CR, unwaged is $35. Yes. yes. Waged? 75 And solidarity? One fifty. One fifty. That's pretty reasonable to help keep 3CR on air. Call 3CR 94198377 and subscribe. Subscribe today. Subscribe now. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3CR.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. (laughs) 3CR are selling Kofia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. And if you're tuning in, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, Ayan, George and Lauren. Joining us today is Samisi Kailahi, Pacifica Lawyer with West Justice and the Pacifica Legal Clinic. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Samisi. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so let's just start off with um, who West Justice are and the type of services that they provide. Yeah, West Justice is a community organisation, so... Um, we provide free legal help to people in the western suburbs of Melbourne and uh, that means that we have offices in Footscray, Werribee and Sunshine and uh, as well as a number of outreach services. Um, our history is that we formed as a, from a merger about in 2015 and um, it was a result of what used to be Western Suburbs Legal Service, Footscray Legal Service, and um, sorry, Footscray Community Legal Centre, and Wyndham Legal Service, and um, yeah, like I said, three now it's um, Footscray, Robbery, Sunshine, and um, outreach locations for places like, for example, Laverton and um, Braybrook, mm. and uh, yeah, so uh, 
what we do is if our vision is just to provide like a just and equitable yes. uh, system mm. and just ensure access to justice, particularly for our vulnerable communities. Mm. And, um, yeah, and we don't assist with areas which um, most legal centres don't assist with, um, like, for example, wheels, conveyancing. But um, we, we do handle most in, um, most legal issues. Mm. Yeah. And this is just a side note. I also understand that you're also a school lawyer for Tiny Senior College. Yep, that's I had right. A, I had a cousin who went there, so big oh, ups really? to Tiny College. Um, so what's a school lawyer? Can, can you explain yeah, that? Yeah, so the school lawyer program is a new program now. Um, about three years ago, we had probably the first ever school lawyer um, in the country, probably, yeah. First ever school lawyer in the country came from our organisation, and his name was Vinny, and he was placed in the Grange. Now it's grown to be a program whereby in Victoria there would be about 15 school lawyers. Um, so that's three years later, and from the pilot. So uh, from my organisation, we have four school lawyers, a school lawyer based in Tarnate, a school lawyer based in um, uh, Wyndham Central, um, Laberton, uh, Wyndham Community Education Centre, mm. and the Grange, as I said. Um, the school lawyer program. So what that's about is, firstly, it's about two things mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, number one being providing legal advice and casework to all these kids who come in with their legal issues. Um, and secondly, to provide them with legal education. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why I was set up is because we recognised that um, a lot of these kids will harbour a lot of legal issues at home. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll witness their families going through different things. And it may be a distraction um, for them, so they were unable to fully engage in their studies, and uh, you know, it's great help for families as well. We also assist families of students too. So, yeah, it's a it's a great program. Yeah, yeah. sounds like it. Um, and focusing, um, directing our focus towards the Pacifica community. Um, yep. What are the main issues, um, legal issues concerning the Pacifica communities in the West? Oh, uh, I. Just based on my personal experience, at, mm. at this stage we don't have, um, I guess, proper data or, or research, but mm. I, I can go off experiences based, based on my own and uh, people I've spoken to, right. and these, those would include debt, uh, fines, money woes, those kinds of things. And Mikey? Um, Mikey, definitely. A lot of Young silly Mikey fines. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Not topping up and uh, getting done for that. Uh, there's also uh, more serious issues such as family violence. Um, yeah, th- these are things that I've witnessed and to some extent gone through myself. So family violence, and which is somewhat generational, unfortunately, in our Pacifica community. Um, also crime is another thing. Um, when I say crime, like drug driving offences, mm. um, so like driving unregistered, driving without a licence, small-time Drive crime, but then there's serious stuff like assault and robbery. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're, we're trying to learn what other issues are out there. I'm not. That's not an exclusive list, mm, um, mm. but I will be. I bet there are going to be so many that we might be surprised by. Yeah, right. and I guess this is where the Pacifica Legal Clinic comes into play. Um, yeah. Can you explain what that is and um, the type of services it hopes to provide? Yep. So the legal clinic, it 
tries to provide a generalist legal service to Pacifica communities. Um, it's the first of its kind from um, from what I've heard, and um, essentially provides tailored legal service, and it's led by the community. So we have a, sh- a steering group, completely Pacifica people, or, or largely Pacifica people anyway, um, because naturally some people from my organisation aren't Pacifica, so mm. they have to be. Uh, so, yes, it's largely a Pacifica steering group. Um, community has massive input to make sure it's a project, a legal clinic that is um, from the community and um, for the community. Um, <clears throat> yes, yeah, so the, the, the legal clinic can, I guess, take in and address legal issues short term um, and uh, we, we can at least identify what legal issues are for the community based on that. Um, but there will also be a, a report as part of the Pacifica project which will be the long term side of things to try mm. to create some structural change there as well. Mm. Yeah. And um, for uh, Pacifica communities who are listening in at the moment and are interested yep. in the clinic, yep. um, can you tell us the process for accessing yep. the clinic? Yeah, the process is fairly easy. You just got to um, find a way to contact either myself or you can contact West Justice. Um, my, my number. You can contact me on my mobile. You can call me on zero four nine zero eight seven five five zero two. Yeah. Um, that's at 0490875502. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also contact the West Justice number, which is nine seven four nine seven seven two zero. And yeah, e- emails as well. So the the clinic will be running fortnightly, and there'll be appointments where you have to book. So I, if there are Pacifica people listening, I guess I'll, I'll urge you to. Book in as soon as possible to ensure you have a slot, because um, the first Pacifica Legal Clinic is running today, and um, within one week of advertising it, it, it probably booked out in a matter of days. Um, so I, I urge everybody to, I guess, if you do have an illegal issue, um, if you're a Pacifica person who does have a legal issue or know someone who does, um, yeah, just contact straight away as yeah. soon as possible. Yeah, and we'll make sure to share it on our Facebook page and also our 3CR website. And I think I've tweeted it as well. Um, so, right. yeah, try to get the message across because I know how important it is to find, um, yeah, support systems that cater to the community and you don't have to constantly be explaining um, right. certain issues. It's it just self-explanatory, which which helps. Um, and so uh, for those of us who are not from the community um, but do want to support this clinic to continue running, how yep. can we do that? I guess, uh, yeah, like you say, just share, uh, share the, and spread the word. And um, I guess if you have platforms, you can share it through. Um, by all means, um, give it a bit of a plug. Um, if you know a friend who's a Pacifica person, uh, yeah, let them know. Also, I'm happy to discuss volunteering as well because I think we need assistance from law students, from lawyers. Um, people who can run, run the legwork and um, I'm also happy to provide mentorships and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so that's, that, those are just some ways I can think of off the top of my head. Yes, yeah. so law students, if you're from the Pacifica community, um, get in touch with Semisi. It's really important that you get the experience and also um, yeah, help the community out. Thank you so much for um, joining us um, today, Semisi. All right, thank you for having me.
Um, you just heard from Pacifica lawyer Simise Keilahi from West Justice and Pacifica Legal Clinic. Pacifica Legal Clinic provides free and confidential legal information to Maori and Pacifica communities living in Melbourne's West. The clinic launches tonight and runs from 4.30pm to 7.30pm and takes place every second Tuesday. To book a time, please contact Simisi Kailahi on 0490-875-502. That's 0490-875-502. Or via email on semisi at westjusticeoneword.org.au. Um, we'll also share the information to our Facebook page and our 3CR Tuesday Breakfast page, as we mentioned. Now we'd like to play some music from Scribe, a New Zealand hip-hop rapper and recording artist of Samoan background, um, and we will play that after some community announcements. One of Melbourne's longest-running hospitals, St Vincent's Hospital, is turning 125. They're calling on community to help rising funds to support the vital work of the hospital by participating in a pyjama-themed fun run on Sunday, April 15th at Princess Park in Carlton North. Registrations are now open. For more information, head to stvincentsfunrun.org.au. St Vincent's is a 3CR supporter. Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say it's okay. You are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has uh, specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call 9419-8377. And if you're tuning in, welcome to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, Yang, George and Lauren. And um, if you had been, well, if you... Um, like I said, I'm just tuning in. We had heard from Simisi Kailahi, who is a Pacifica lawyer with West Justice and the Pacifica Legal Clinic. Sorry, I'm just out of breath because we were taking photos and just, you know, um, schmoozing. Um, so all that running around. So as we promised, let's play the song by um, Scribe. And the song is called Not Many. I don't know why I thought it was called If Any. It says If Any. But... Um, I'm just going to say, if there are kids in the car, <laughs> language warning. Um, yes. I think it's not hectic, but like, just be aware. He's with. Yes. Yeah. And it's such a good um, turn-up song. So mm. if you're feeling some type of way... Forget I was going to say get jiggy with it, but that's... Wow. That's so old. It's oh my 1992. God. Right. <laughs> okay. Let's get some scribe. Oh my God, why? 
Yeah, yeah, and no one like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My neighbor, mm-hmm. who has been practicing his Bon Jovi covers at 3 a.m., needs to chill because I cannot function in society oh when I have not God. slept well. I hope he, yeah, like I hope he makes it and moves out of Footscray. That's absolutely, absolutely. Get out of the garage. No, no, no shade, no shade, no shade. Oh, no, 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 I'm shade. just like alienating so many communities. No, today. it's all good. Um, so we're about to go to an interview with where am I? Tiami Tosha. Um, yes, we will definitely get to that interview in um, a few more minutes. Um, she's just getting herself together. Fantastic. Um, she looks amazing, as we know. Um, those of you who've seen the photo on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, Sister Girl is oh, elegant. <laughs> I was going to say hot, but I thought mm, she's elegant and gorgeous and I'm rambling. And we will be... Um, she, she actually wanted us to play a song. She so did. Shout so shall out we play it to Tiami before um, we do the interview? Yeah. All so right. she wanted us to play "Feel Good" um, by the legendary Sampa and Remy. Yes. Yeah. Let's Hold let, let's once feel good or for good. For good. Oh my God. Okay, for good. good. Look no, at no. me. I'm just giving out. It's fine. All right. Ready? For good by Remy and Sampa. Say, say whatever you want. Mm-mm-mm-mm. And that was um, For Good by Sampa and Remy. And up next, we'll be chatting to Tiami Toshi in the next, maybe, next few minutes. So stick it around. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM on your dial or www.3cr.org.au. It is 7.52 AM. It's going to be a top of 22 today, yes. and Ayan is staring at me <laughs> across the room. No, I'm uh, I'm just admiring you, oh. as I always do. Oh. Um, so we're so lucky to have on the line with us Tiami Toshi. Tiami is a creative practitioner exploring place, identity, and belonging in uh, Melbourne. 
Using contemporary and traditional rituals as an expressive medium, she holds space for conversations with, for, and of self. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Tiami. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. No, thank you for being here. Um, so, as we mentioned in your um, bio, um, why you mentioned ideas of place, identity, and belonging. Why are these um, ideas and themes central to your practice? Um, great question. I think they're important for me personally to remind myself and also people that look like me and my siblings um, that we come from somewhere. And like through this practice, I want to explore our connection to dance, to food. And right now it's rare simply because we don't have that connection to space, the physical mm. connection to our home. So, yeah. Yep. And over the weekend, you created um, an experimental lounge at the Immigration Centre as part of the One Be One Love Festival. Can you walk us through what the space looked like and what you wanted to communicate with the space? Okay, so the space was essentially set up like a lounge and it was kind of inviting people into my personal space. That was the energy about it. And within that space, I, I was doing hair, we were talking about self-care, we were playing games that I played as a kid, um, games that are very popular for the South Sudanese community especially, like Luda, very controversial. Yes, and big ups to the South Sudanese community if you're listening, just a big shout out. Yes, all the way. Um, but I've had a very intimate relationship with hair for the longest time because it's been both the most defiled and all at once the most sacred aspect of my identity. Um, it's no secret that good hair just carries with it a lot of negative connotations for black women. And if you pay attention for black men, um, young boys, girls, and just black people in general, um, but we're we're redefining that, and it's mm. such a beautiful introduction to self-love and to self-acceptance because I feel like what's happening with us deconstructing these these ideas that we're not worthy is us kind of coming back to ourselves and sitting in our personal power. So I really enjoy the process of creating that space because, for me, that space has been my living room, has been the times where I'm... I'm being held down, you know, um, getting my hair done and just being surrounded by my aunts, being surrounded by friends, doing my hair. Like those have been the recurring stream of of my connection to mm. home. Mm. That's the thing that has been constant is the way that I get my hair done and that it's such a ritualistic process. Mm. And so for me, inviting people into that experience is really, I held that space um for all the, the people that came, they were all the right people because they were the people that essentially come from a similar practice and and maybe needed a reminder. And just like as a as a jolt to to, to exploring culture and identity deeper than the the mm. essence of it. Yeah. Mm. And um, just quickly um, changing gears. Um, anyone, so for anyone who's like turned on the tally in the last year or so, or even, or even opened a paper, um, can testify to the way the African community has been portrayed, the negative portrayal of our community. 
Um, how has this betrayal um, impacted you and the people you love? I I feel like it's impacted my brothers and my my friends the most. My black male friends and my brothers. Um, my younger brother, who's only fourteen tells me stories of going to the supermarket and or going into the shopping centre and to the plaza and he can't carry his backpack. Um, if he goes with a friend, then they for sure cannot carry their backpack so they're followed around, even in their school uniform, the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, but what hurts for me is the emotional, the emotional um, attack mm-hmm. that because these these people that um, are being targeted are essentially our younger brothers, uh, the, the the people that essentially cannot defend themselves in that mm. space. Because I personally don't feel um, attacked in my everyday environment, just going out of my house. But I know that's an anxiety that my brother has, and I know that that's an anxi- anxiety that my partner has, because. Straight away, it's kind of like that, that idea that African gang. Like if, you, if there's more than one of you, it's an African gang, and it's felt. And I see the look too. Hmm. So I think that um, that rapture of the media just kind of ripping into the African community is has been um, has been very, very, very uh, destructive hmm. to the people's emotional well-being. Yeah. And it's interesting the contrast of the way you use spaces like for positivity and also um, to create conversation, and the way the and the way the um, the way space the the way black boys experience space or anyone that's black experience space that surveillance that heightened surveillance that you know um, though no one is barring you from entering certain spaces. The constant surveillance and the um, just the attitude, the way people respond to you, the way they um, provide you with customer service, you know, makes you, you know, makes you feel like you shouldn't be here or that you don't belong. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I, great, yeah. No, sorry, you were going to say? I was going to say, like, as a creative practitioner, my intention is to dig deep into the recesses of my own insecurities and make myself whole through that self-expression. And I feel like in order to hold those spaces, that's something I have to do. But the conversation that is, that I'm intending to have in those spaces is exactly what you just pointed out. It's, I quite literally put myself in a space where I'm so overexposed and it's very uncomfortable, but it's not the level of comfort, of discomfort that, again, like my younger brother would feel, um, being, operating in that space. And I feel like in order for us to, to, to challenge these, these misconceptions and mm-hmm. miseducation about us, I think there has to be an invitation to who we really are, especially mm-hmm. for us allowing that to be to to resonate outwards exactly and i guess that's where a comma um you know what you know what's funny before i ask you this question when i was chatting to you on facebook i um the autocorrect 
autocorrected your name, and I remember you were like, decolonize, um, decolonize your autocorrect, Ian. And, um, yeah, I found that funny because right now I'm about to ask, maybe butcher the um, pronunciation yeah. of a comma not so collective. A common Tosa collective, which is something I started with a friend. Yes. Um, pretty much, at the time, I wasn't really sure what I was doing, but I see now how it's led me to be comfortable in this space. I think it was kind of like a, a shield um, where we're creating these spaces and these conversations were happening, but it was... Um, it was, I think it was a driving force to, to the work that I do now and the body of work that I'm intending to create and continue exploring. Mm. Yeah. And um, finally, Tiami, um, where would you like to um, see the conversation head towards? Hmm. I, I, I would like to, or I just see that how I create is in complete alignment with the way that I allow myself to excavate, excavate the remains of my culture. And it, it's a gentle practice and it's honoring the small things that carry big spirits. And I think we as people need to have that conversation with ourselves. Um, we need to, I think having rituals and having practices and honoring those things and where we came from allows us to, to hold ourselves together and to hold spaces for ourselves together in this reality. So I, I really feel like um, that's what culture is to me. It's a shared space full of rituals and energy circulated by community. And that's essentially where I want the conversation to shift. I always want it to be that I was turning to self. Oh, girl, you've left us. You should see everybody in the room. We've just got our mouths open. You've, yeah, that was amazing. Thank you so much, Tiami. Thank you. And um, if you're just tuning in, you heard from Tiami Toshi. Tiami is a cre- creative practitioner exploring place, identity, and belonging in Nam Melbourne using contemporary and traditional rituals as an expressive medium. She holds space for conversations with, for, and of self. Tiami is one of the founders of Okomo Noso Collective and the, she is also the founder of Sabi and Abalo. We'll share links to her creative pages on all of our social, um, all of our socials. And now she's requested another song because she deserves it. And I really appreciate her um, taking the initiative. We were just saying in the break, we love that she took the initiative to, you know, choose the songs that she wanted to accompany her amazing, um, I guess, presence. Um, and right now we'll be playing a song by P. Unique. Um, P. Unique. Oh, well, we haven't um, picked the song yet. Um, but we will hit play and give you the details once we come back. Since I seen your face, miss you laughing and just talking, feeling waves of emotion rushing through my whole body. I can bear this loss. I just want one more chance. This is to say it all. And why can't we all live forever and be happy, man? Why does everything have to be God's plan? It's like God takes away the good ones. And even when He does that, I don't understand. They say the good die young, or maybe they died young. Cause they're too good for this world, and this world is disturbed. Hatred just kills it. Amen. We deserve a better life with better chance. 
Bible, it's canyons. And that was P. Unique with the track Everlasting featuring Kara and produced by Vision. And P. Unique was born in North Sudan and moved to Australia at the age of five. And it says on her SoundCloud bio that she was always into music but didn't feel that she was good enough. So I hope she doesn't feel like that anymore. Boo. Because that I was hope, beautiful. Yeah. We, I saw her Saturday as part of um, the Sonic mm. um, Festival. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, not festival, but the Sonic event. Um, the one that me and George, we've been talking about it. And if it hadn't been for that event, I would have been at your party, George. <laughs> Just letting you know. Um, but, yeah, P. Unique performed and she was amazing. And her favourite song of, of mine is um, Social Media and the Racism. It's so cute. Oh, wow. So you catchy. To that. We should that play that. Awesome. So, yeah. yeah, big ups. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres.
Guatemala. I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore Black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. It is 8 or 9 a.m. and everybody looks a little more awake. Um, we are going to go now to a clip um, that actually Anya, who, for those of you who were listening at 7 a.m., will know is the fourth newest member of Tuesday Breakfast, but is not allowed to speak yet because she hasn't done media law and she may defame somebody by accident. Um, but she sent me this video on the weekend, and it's one of the most inspiring, goosebump-inducing things I've watched in a really long time. It's a little 11-year-old girl. I shouldn't call her little. It's an 11-year-old girl called Naomi Wadler. And she's speaking to a crowd um, on the weekend at the D.C. March for Our Lives. So this is the marches that happened across the United States um, in response to the most recent horrific school shooting there. Um, and it's been really amazing to see how the young people in America have um, activated and and created this movement, um, basically saying never again, not on our watch. So now we're going to hear from Naomi. My name is Naomi and I'm 11 years old. <laughs> Me and my friend Carter led a walk out at our elementary school on the 14th. We walked out for 18 minutes, adding a minute to honor Cortland Arrington, an African-American girl who was the victim of gun violence in her school in Alabama after the Parkland shooting. I am here today to represent Cortland Arrington. I am here today to represent Hadia Pendleton. I, I am here today to represent Tiana Thompson, who at just 16 was shot dead in her home here in Washington, D.C., I am here today to acknowledge and represent the African-American girls whose stories don't make the front page of every national newspaper. Whose stories don't lead on the evening news. I represent the African-American women who are victims of gun violence, who are simply statistics instead of vibrant, beautiful girls that pull up potential. It is my privilege to be here today. I am indeed full of privilege. My voice has been heard. I am here to acknowledge their stories, to say they matter, to say their names, because I can, and I was asked to be. For far too long, these names, these black girls and women, have been just numbers. I'm here to say never again for those girls, too. say that everyone should value those girls too. People have said that I am too young to have these thoughts on my own. People have said that I am a tool of some nameless adult. It's not true. My friends and I might still be 11 and we might still be in elementary school, but we know 
We know life isn't equal for everyone, and we know what is right and wrong. We also know that we stand in the shadow of the Capitol, and we know that we have seven short years until we, too, have the right to vote. So I'm here today to honor the words of Toni Morrison. If, if, there's a, if there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, you must be the one to write it. everyone here and everyone who hears my voice to join me in telling the stories that aren't told. To honor the girls, the women of color who were murdered at disproportionate rates in this nation. I urge each of you to help me write the narrative for this world and understand so that these girls and women are never forgotten. Thank you. And that was um, 11-year-old Naomi Wadler speaking to a crowd at the DC March for Our Lives. What a phenomenal young woman. So incredible. I love that she also acknowledged her privilege. Mm-hmm. She's an 11-year-old, but still for her to have that foresight to acknowledge that, yes, it's possible for me to be up here and, mm. you know, my circumstances allow me to be able to be, you know, to be able to speak on behalf of these young women mm. who unfortunately can't. Um Thank you so much for sharing it. I think Anya shared it with Anya you, Lauren. Anya shared it. Yeah. And you shared it with me. Thank you, Anya. It's like the Traveling Pants. What is it? What's that movie? Oh, my God. <laughs> this is one of the Traveling Pants. I love that. It's oh, my God. I know. I've never watched it. It's oh, so wow. cheesy. It's so cheesy. It is At least cheesy. I knew who Scribe was. Um, so what are you going to read, Georgie? You've got something in your hands. Uh, so we've just heard about... Um, a, a walkout that's happening today. It's uh, for educators to walk off across Australia. This will be the biggest early education walk-off in Australian history, apparently. More than double the number of educators and centres will be participating since the previous walk, which was held last year. And it also mentions here in the media release that educators currently earn as little as $21 per hour despite holding qualifications. So it's definitely something worthy of uh, uh, standing up for. It's taking place at 1.50pm uh, and we're at the Windsor Community Children's Centre, so Union Street in Windsor. Cool. Thank you. Um, so can we get a little bit of nitty-gritty, please? Yes, Thank definitely. Welcome back. That was the signal for 
alternative news. (laughs) And George is going to kick us off. I am. Yeah. But I wanted to hear about the Twitter. All right. Oh, do you want me to start with? No. Well, we can can jump straight into um, my very angry rambling, um, which please feel free to jump in and tempt me at any time. (laughs) But basically, um, it's very rare that on this show I will open anything with um, as a white woman, but... (laughs) As a white woman, I have something to say. <laughs> um, basically, I just um, this is something that happens a lot. And um, last week, there was an example that really solidified it and made me really angry. So I wanted to talk about it on air because I think it's something that people should be talking about if they are, like me, white and or privileged in this society. So um, last week, I and then most of us in this room ended up embroiled in what some people might call a Twitter war. Um, It began when the Wheeler Centre tweeted about an upcoming event that they're having. And I would like to just say for the record that I am a big fan of the Wheeler Centre. I go to a lot of events there. Um, You know, it's great. But last week, they advertised an event that they have coming up about Me Too in Australia. That was the title. And it was being advertised as a panel discussion hosted by a white, cisgendered, able-bodied, highly educated woman named Sally Warhart. Sally is a journalist, and she's somebody that I am, again, a big fan of. I think she's a wonderful, highly educated, very interesting woman. The panellists were all also white, able-bodied, highly educated, mostly journalist women. I was informed later that one of the panellists has a trans background, which I assume means that she was a trans woman, but I'm not actually sure if that's the case. Um, And that same woman also informed me that she had experienced violence and homelessness at one point in her life. So... um, with the exception of those experiences that she specifically spoke to me about, the rest of their lives had had been um, essentially extremely privileged. Um, and that's not to shade them. The panellists are all very accomplished women. They've all done really good work in their lives. Um, you know, this is not about them as people. In any event, not one woman on that stage, as the event was planned, will be a First Nations woman, a woman of colour, a migrant woman, a refugee woman, a disabled woman, a woman with lived experience of being in prison, a sex worker, a woman who has not had access to education, a poor woman, or a very young or a very old woman. So it basically failed to include women from pretty much every group that is more heavily impacted by sexual harassment and sexual assault than privileged white women, uh, privileged white women, and I am saying that as a privileged white woman, but also knowing that it's a discussion of Me Too and sexual harassment, sexual assault. So it is purporting to discuss an issue while excluding from the conversation the people who are most impacted by that issue. So I pointed out to the Wheeler Centre on Twitter that it didn't seem like a very diverse panel, and a few people agreed and a few people disagreed, and, and you know, that's just how Twitter goes. But It was the panellists' responses that really interested me because these are women. These are self-proclaimed feminist women who are fairly progressive generally in their views and who stated that they'd all worked to assist women from various backgrounds and demographics. That was the thing that they believed gave them the right to be on that stage. But when it was pointed out to them that the people who had made the decision about who to invite to the panel had not chosen people who actually represent the diversity of Australia, the Australia that they say they're going to be discussing, and represent the people most impacted by the issue that they're going to be discussing, discussing, some of the women became really defensive. And they began telling me about some of their own personal hardships in life, which is, you know, while they're obviously difficult, and I'm not trying to discount, that were really not the point. Um, the point was that there were people, including women of colour, whose community had been excluded from the panel, trying to explain to them why the structure of this panel was problematic. People were calmly explaining it to them in detail, but we were all continually met with defensiveness and people 
um, who were, to be honest, making it all about themselves. So I know it's difficult to think sometimes as a progressive person that you might be complicit in the systems that you can see oppressing other people. But when somebody points out to you that you are complicit in those systems, if you actually care about the issue, you will change something. And if you care about the issue, you won't center the discussion on yourself. And I get that for some people, it's really uncomfortable to address how they might be complicit in or upholding those systems. But please look at it like this. The systems that I'm talking about here include, for example, patriarchy, white supremacy, heteronormativity, and societies that don't treat people with disabilities or sex workers or poor people or non-English speakers, to name a few, the same as they treat people who are not of those demographics. So we're talking about structures that keep people unsafe, which keep people dying younger, keep people less healthy and less educated and less wealthy, which separates families and which causes and compounds trauma in more ways than we probably fully understand yet. So as far as I'm concerned, a few hours or a few days or even a few months of you feeling uncomfortable and having uncomfortable conversations with other people and yourself pales in comparison to contributing to systems that do that to people. And I know that this kind of intense and critical self-reflection can be difficult, but if you are serious about changing things, and if you're serious about creating a world, then you have to use your position and you have to use your privilege. And that's not going to happen while you're unable to see how you reinforce those systems and their impacts. So that's Mm. my huge rant, and I just needed to say that because you can't keep reinforcing it while purporting to fight it. So I would be really interested to know what you think, Georgie. Well, it's like like the, you know, beware of the... um the wolf in sheep's clothing mm-hmm. when you when it's th- the people that are dangerous are, are those that claim that they are woke or they're on board mm. with certain issues but then perpetuate a lot of really harmful and discriminatory views and they lack that um self-reflection i think that's a really important reminder for all of us mm. to constantly be checking ourselves and it's disappointing on two fronts the first being that they had that panel in the first place but the second that those guests lacked lacked that introspection to go, okay, is this fair? Mm. Should I be thinking about whether or not I should be on this panel? Yeah, because we do know people who have given up their seats on panels um, to make way for people who um, who needed the space more than they did at that time, given the topic that was being discussed or whatever. Mm. Yeah, it's like Ayan did that a few months ago and, you know, <laughs> was definitely, like more than qualified to be mm-hmm. on that panel, but realised that her um, community was already being represented and there was someone from a different community that she felt needed to be heard. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you don't often hear that happen with um, white panellists, that they would be thinking in those terms. No, and I, I'm not sure... I mean, look, all I can ask of people is that they stop and think about... If you're being attacked personally, that's different, but if somebody is attacking the idea behind something then try and understand why. And if people go out of their way and give emotional labour and time to explaining it to Mm. you, oh, my God, they've probably got a good reason. So respect them and listen to what they're saying and really think about it. Yeah, and being from, like, as you mentioned, that some of them have worked with people from um, different backgrounds and experiences is not the same as actually being from a different, like, you know, it's not the same thing. And I think that that justification is really harmful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, So, I don't know, white people, try and suck less, all of us, (laughs) (laughs) myself included, because, yeah, we all have work to do. Yeah. We did, we are thinking, I think it was Lauren's idea, but we were all pretty, you know, thinking Mm. that that was a really negative thing. And 
we thought maybe it could be good to have our own panel here. Because this is actually the second, because there was Q&A, which was even worse because there was two men on the panel. And they asked somebody (laughs) who'd been accused of sexual harassment to be on that panel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that was, you know, on the spectrum, appalling. And then you have the Wheeler Centre one, which is just also not good. Maybe it's something that we could do here in the studio is have our own uh, panel with people who we think are more qualified to speak on this topic. And maybe this is a good place to throw it out there. If you are a person who does not feel like your voice has been represented in the Me Too debates, please get in touch with us on Facebook um, or Twitter, or you can come down or ring the station um, on Facebook. I think we're 3CR Tuesday Breakfast um, and Twitter. You can yeah, we'd love to hear from you. any of us, but 3CR retweet us, so you, you'll see our names on there. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. And it can be anonymous. You don't have to speak for yourself, but... Essentially, what we're aware of is that there are so many communities who didn't get the opportunity to speak or who, for various reasons, can't talk about these experiences. But that doesn't mean that it's not happening to them and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be shining a light on the fact that it's happening. So, yeah, get in touch. Um. Rumination. 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program. Featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855am. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. We are about to head off for the week, um, but next... Giselle from Accent of Women chats to Pacha Guzman about the views and positions of the popular and poor sectors from below that support the Bolivarian process in Venezuela. Wow, so interesting. Venezuela is fascinating at the moment, um, and I know Giselle will do a great job. Um, So enjoy, and we will see you next week.